and welcome back to episode 5, bonus episode 5, of me reviewing every animated piece of Disney media under the movie tag on Disney+. Plus. Um, I, I, need to, I need to kind of qualify this a bit better because not all of them are strictly movies. Um, but there's a, there's, a, there's a lot of media on here. I think it's like 160-something pieces. Um, and by the end of this episode... We will have done 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 pieces of media. I got pretty vocal about some of them. That's why there's there's a there's not as many this time around. Um, but we are we finish up the letter L and we are fucking waist deep in the letter M. And there's some there's some decent stuff in here. Couple of surprises, couple of big surprises, and um, I believe we have another perfect movie in here. But that's mostly because of nostalgia. Still a great movie. Um, but I, I won't lie. That nostalgia plays a major part in that one. So. Yes. And uh, yeah. That's, that's pretty much it. So let's just get right into it. <sighs> this movie is such a conundrum for me. Because on one hand, it has some some good points and some good moments. And on the other hand, it's ethically terrible and should therefore be punished accordingly. So, my hands are fucking crisscrossed on this one. I think if I just take it point by point, we might be able, we might be able to break this shit down once and fucking for all. Because this is not the first time in my life I have publicly reviewed The Little Mermaid. I pray it's the last. I pray it's the last time I ever need to talk about this fucking movie. Um, Alright, so... Real quick. Ariel's a mermaid. She is the... Sixth daughter... Sixth youngest daughter... Of Triton, who is the king of the sea. No sign of the mom. At all. She's probably dead. Um, who knows? Maybe it'll get touched on in the prequel movie that I'm gonna have to watch here in a little while. She has this unhealthy obsession with the human world in this that it kind of um uh, manifests in a hoarder-like obsession with collecting their trash uh, from shipwrecks and a bunch of other random areas and it, it's it's never good enough for Ariel she always wants more shit she doesn't really know what the stuff does or what it's even called because her only source of information is a drunken seagull who um, is played by... I like the Seagull character. I'll be honest. I can't remember the actor's name. But he was... He was... He was fun. And I think being the voice of the Seagull was one of the last things he did. I can't prove this with science and numbers because I refuse to look it up. Because uh, fuck this movie. Anyway, so... She... Yeah, she... She has this unhealthy obsession with the human world. And she falls in love with basically the first good-looking dude she sees. Uh, Prince Eric who happens to be, you know, just sailing on by and shooting fireworks off because it's his birthday. Um, and she saves him. And then he's like, yo, I'm going to marry this girl. Her singing voice was rad. And that's all you need, really, in order to find the love of your life, right? You just need to figure out if they've got a decent singing voice. That's it. That's all you need. And then Ariel gets found out by her dad, and her dad's pissed. It's one of the biggest problems of this movie, um, is that Ariel's stupid because she's like, 
Daddy, I love him. I've known him for less than 30 minutes, but I love him. Shut up. No, you don't. You don't know what love is. And he overreacts and is, frankly, racist against all humans, thinking that they're all horrible monsters when they're not. So they're both at fault for for their own reasons. Uh, Sebastian's just kind of uselessly around, and he sings a couple of songs. The music in this movie is fine. I mean, it's it, a lot of them are classics. Um, there's a couple of them that I've, I've heard so often that I'm kind of sick of them. Uh, like Under the Sea. I can um, I can live the rest of my life without ever hearing that song again. But if I ever go back to Disney World, I'm going to hear that song again. Um, yeah, the, 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 music's, the music is, is, is fine. Um, Kiss the Girl has a, a, a fucking message I'm not a fan of. Um, you, should, you should get verbal consent. Uh, which in Ariel's current state, Eric would not be able to do. Um, I suppose she could nod, and I'm sure that would be, you know, I'm not sure, not sure if that would hold up. To be perfectly honest with you, she, she could sign yes, I guess. Um, but he doesn't ask, so it's um it's a problematic situation anyway. Um, and then you've got the whole bit where it's like you don't need your voice to you know, communicate who you are as a person. Um, just, you know, sit there and look pretty and look sexy and then Prince Eric will fall for you anyways, is what Ursula basically tells her. And then, um, right as, uh, Ariel's about to seal the deal, Ursula does some fucking mischief and shows up looking kind of similar to Ariel, uh, with her voice and tricks Eric into being like, no, I'm the one that saved you because listen to my voice. And then, um, Ariel kind of fucking they break the spell Ursula gets the the trident and becomes like this giant sea witch and then fucking Eric just steers the boat straight into her gut and just fucking eviscerates her which is pretty fucking metal um it's not often when the villain of the movie is directly killed by the hero a lot of times it's like situational or circumstantial but in this movie, it's like, no, nah, I steer that boat right into her fucking gut, and that was it. Um, and I, I do enjoy the giant kaiju ending uh, of of this movie because it's kind of it's kind of really like fucking out of nowhere, um, and it's it's disproportionately cool to to the rest of this film. Uh, the fact that Ursula basically becomes Godzilla and they just fucking run a boat into her stomach—that's just fucking that's cool anyway. You slice it. So, yeah. And then, of course, it does the classic Disney thing, and they all end up happily ever after. And I'm not miffed about the happily ever after ending. That's just Disney in a nutshell. So, now that's all said and done. Um, I'm, I'm going to talk about the one redeeming quality of this movie, and that's Ursula. Ursula is a pretty decently performed... Actually, she's an amazingly performed villain. Plan-wise, for being a villain, it's not the strongest. Um, her design is amazing and iconic. Poor Unfortunate Souls is one of the best Disney villain songs just out there. It's it's fantastic. Pat Carroll knocks it out of the park. So, Ursula and that performance and that song do get kudos from me. Because they're very good. However, Ursula should not have lost because she was going up against, like, the dumbest main cast of any fucking Disney movie ever. You have the the idiotic Ariel 
with her dumbass dad, her five sisters that don't do anything in the entire movie of note, a stupid ass crab, and a flounder that isn't a flounder named Flounder. I don't know what type of fish flounder is, but it's not a fucking flounder. So, I always hated that. Um, oh, God. So, I give The Little Mermaid... I can give it a four. And that's all because of Pat Carroll. I know it's a classic, and I know a lot of people love it. It was never one of my, my favorites. And it's not that I... Actually, you know, yeah, I just... I don't think people should, like take lessons from this movie because there's no like redeeming characters in there they're all kind of shitty in their own in their own stupid way so yeah i mean i mean i can't i can't you know and now i get to suffer two more movies of this shit fucking hooray but it only only if, if pat carroll was not in this movie i'd give it a flat zero i feel like there's nothing else redeeming in this film um, if you've never seen it before, you're probably going to be like, you'll enjoy the ride because these songs are like new and exciting to you. I'm just a bitter old man now at this point. And I, I, I feel like the sea witch is the most interesting character, which is, um, which is where I stand. Little Mermaid gets a four out of 10. Bet you weren't expecting that, huh? Shit. The Little Mermaid 3, Ariel's Beginning. Technically a prequel. That's why I watched it next. Um, because I wanted to start with the original, then the one that came before it, then the one that comes after it. So I started with the third one after, uh, after the original film. Now, I've only ever seen The Little Mermaid. So this is my first time watching Ariel's Beginning. I liked it. I liked it a lot more than I thought I was going to. And I think it is better than the original movie. And here's why. So the the movie starts off um, with the, the death of Ariel's mom. So wonderful that we, we finally figured out what happened to her. Um, they, they were a really big music family. Mom dies. Dad can't stand to listen to this music box that he got her, like, the day she died. Uh, so he bans music forever in the kingdom. And uh, it fast-forwards ten years later, and it is uh, Ariel and all of her sisters kind of going through the motions. Dad is just depressed as all hell. He hasn't gotten over it. He forgot how to be happy. Music's still banned. And he's like kind of regimented and structured everything about his life, including spending time with his daughters. And the daughters are noticeably depressed, uh, but they're just like, what can we do? You know, he's the king. He has this whole kingdom run. We, you know, we can't really do or say anything because he's a dad, blah, blah, blah. Over the course of the, uh, the, the story, Ariel eventually finds like this underground music club uh, where out of all songs they possibly could have chosen to play in the underground music club they went with Jump in the Line by Harry Belafonte which is a good song to be sure um but the thing is that this movie actually has some really decent original songs to it 
And it confused me why they felt the need to bring in Jump in the Line. Not that that is a bad song. I love Jump in the Line. I love Harry Belafonte. He's a fucking treasure. Um, but there's a song that Ariel sings. Like, So she shows up in the music club and uh, everybody freaks out and bails because she's a princess and she's going to ride him out. And she starts like kind of gently playing some of the instruments. And she starts singing a song about how she remembers music and her mom. And the band comes back and everybody comes back and it's really sweet and beautiful um, in, in reality. Uh, and then, you know, she joins the club. Uh, her sisters find out that she wasn't in bed at midnight. So they were like, where the fuck were you? And she's like, I was at the kick-ass music club. And all the sisters wanted to join. Um, and so they go and have fun. And then uh, they the king finds out. And he, uh, you know, sends them all home and he destroys the club. And Ariel's like, why is music banned? And he's like, don't fucking question me. And, you know, they they are, like, under house arrest. And then Ariel just fucking bails. And Sebastian and all of his band buddies were locked up in jail. And she busts him out. And then Sebastian uh, and all of those people and Ariel and Flounder uh, just fucking hightail it on out of there. Um, where Ariel discovers the music box from the beginning of the movie. Um, and over the course of a couple other scenes... She uh, gets the music box back to her dad, almost dies in the process. He listens to the music box, and it's his singing that brings her back from the brink of death. Music is allowed back in the kingdom, and that's the end of the film. Uh, I like this movie a lot because, one, it, it talks about like the power of music, which is something I, I personally very strongly believe in. Two, unlike the first film, where their reasons for doing things are dumb... The reasons for the characters doing things in this movie, especially King Triton, Ariel, and all of her sisters, makes sense. Triton banned music in the kingdom because of how heart-wrenchingly heartbroken he was at the death of his wife and best friend, according to Sebastian. She, she was ripped away from him. He was horribly broken as a person. So he banned music and lived in crippling sadness for 10 years. So... You, you get his motivations. You understand him as a character. And that already makes this better than the first movie. You get it. In the first movie, he just kind of hates humans. Why? That never really gets into it. I think it's like they hunt more people. It, it, they're a danger. Just these, these vague bullshit reasons. But in this movie, you, you're shown. Why? It doesn't tell you. It shows you why. And that's good fucking storytelling. Ariel has a fucking relationship with her sisters. Her sisters are characters in this movie. That's something I feel like the first movie desperately needed. Her sisters are so fucking supportive in this movie. What the hell happened? Between this movie and the first movie, where her sisters could give a fucking shit about Ariel. They're barely in the film. Do you know how little of the first film would have occurred if she had the support of her older sisters? Five older sisters it would have completely changed the dynamic of the film 110% they are so close in this movie it's wonderful to see it really is they they have this this bond and you watch like you know the rise and fall and like there's a lot of interpersonal struggles that they go through but at the end of the day they all still love each other because they're sisters and they're a fucking family and that's that like these are the things I wanted in the first film but they're not in the first film. They're in the third film. 
and it's really nice to see. The animation in this movie is pretty fucking good. Like, on a par with, with like, the quality of any Disney movie that's, like, a well-animated film. Um, I was gonna say, it, like, it actually kind of looks better than the original because it's fairly recent, actually. This movie's only 12 years old. It came out in 2008. It's one of the, it's one of the most recent, um, straight-to-DVD uh, sequels that they've done. Um, and in fact, it might have been one of the last ones because that studio no longer exists, which is a fucking shame. Because some of these Disney sequels are way better than, they sh- than they're supposed to be. And this is one of them. Some of those original songs are incredible. I'm a really big fan of the story. The only spot of this story where the whole thing breaks down is the unnecessary villain that does absolutely nothing for the movie. My plot description would have been amazing in its own right. But unfortunately, intercut with all these awesome scenes of this struggle of family and music, there is this shitty B-villain who has absolutely no reason to be there, does nothing for the movie, and, it, like, like they get a song, and they're a character, and it got to the point where I just straight-up skipped scenes they were in. I was fast-forwarding through anything they were in because they don't do anything to help the movie. They actively bring the movie down and hurt the movie. So my recommendation to all of you, if you do see this movie and I do recommend it, the second you see that purple haired fucking Marina Del Rey, and I believe that's her actual name, just fucking skip it. You have to trust me. So in the beginning, like you can hang out with her when she's taking care of like the kids. But after a while, she's going to start getting some solo scenes with her and fucking Barney the dinosaur. I don't know what the fuck that thing was. I think it was a manatee. But I've never seen a manatee look like that. I think his name was Benjamin. Whatever the fuck that all is about. Just skip it. Just fucking skip it. It doesn't do anything for the movie. It actively takes away from the movie. There's a really good movie buried in here. And you can find it and you can watch it as long as you skip those fucking scenes. Because they stop the momentum of the movie fucking dead. And they ruin all emotional weight of this film. You gotta skip those scenes. And if you do skip those scenes, there's a fucking 8 out of 10 movie in here. I swear to God. It's fucking... It was so unexpected. This shit fucking made me like, almost made me cry twice. Like, I'm, I'm telling you, I can't stand the first movie, but this one, this one is the one. It's really fucking good. Is it Footloose? Only in, like, the loosest definition of the, like, he banned a thing, and then they brought it back. Like, that's it. Like, there's some genuine heart and soul in this movie, and it all comes down to, like, this idea of family and, and coping with loss and finding your identity and like standing up for your own beliefs all of these amazing things there are some good fucking ethical lessons in this movie that that were not in the first one there's some good goddamn character development in this movie that wasn't in the first one there's some good goddamn interpersonal relationships in this movie that were not in the first one there's some good songs and the first one had some good songs but these were new to me therefore i liked them better little mermaid three ariel's beginning gets a three gets three out of ten gets an eight out of ten it gets brought down because of the fucking villain and all of those shit ass scenes but you gotta trust me it's it's i liked it i liked it a lot like top five straight to video sequels it's up there
I gotta tell you, like, it's late at night. I'm about to, I'm about to, like, shower and go to bed. But this was such a pleasant movie to watch um, at the end of a very long day. And I'm just, I'm just happy. I'm just, I'm just kind of, I'm just kind of pleased. So, this, this movie hit incredibly right at exactly the right time. Fuck, what a, what a surprise. Well, as good as the third one, uh, we can we can all rest assured that the uh, the fucking sequel is unwatchable garbage. I uh, couldn't finish it. Zero out of ten. So I made it about. This might sound a little cruel, but I made it about twenty minutes in, and I could not get behind Melody. I could see the plot of this movie a mile away. Um. It, 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 no, just no, just absolutely fucking no, like the, the inconsistencies and irrational behavior of the characters, there's an evil sea witch in the ocean, and Ariel's response is to not tell Melody, like, anything about people or, you know, the ocean, and just for her to stay out of the ocean, but she could talk to a fucking crab, and all of the fish of the ocean, and the seagulls of the ocean. And nobody goes like, oh, that's weird. Why not just tell her that, hey, you know what? There's a sea witch out there. And she's going to kill you. Why wouldn't Ariel just tell her that? I don't understand. Um, I, I, I can appreciate that Pat Carroll, who voiced Ursula, came back to voice Ursula's sister, Morgana. That's fine. But, like, between Ariel's beginning and Little Mermaid 2, it's, like, completely different creative teams, for one. The animation looks worse in this movie than it does in Ariel's Beginning. Um, the villain in Ariel's Beginning is shit, for sure. But you just skip that crap, and it's it, there's a, it's a decent movie buried in there. But I can't stomach Little Mermaid 2. Not even a little bit. Couldn't even finish the fucking thing. So, absolutely not. No way, Jose. No chance, Lance. Fuck that movie. Ariel's Beginning is the only good one. The rest of them can just fuck right off. Zero out of ten. Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh from 1977 is one of my favorites. This is where like the like the ultimate Winnie the Pooh stories really come in. Heffalumps and Woozles, Pooh Sticks, like all of those classic, it's a blustery day. Those classic Winnie the Pooh stories for me come from this movie. And it starts with that beautiful thing of seeing the, the original stuffed animals the songs in this movie are so fucking iconic. The characters are so lovable. This is the ultimate and pinnacle, at least right now. I mean, I, there's a bunch of Winnie the Pooh movies I haven't seen. I will by the end of this. But for me, this is, like, fucking top tier. And, I, like, this this one's a little nostalgia goggly for me. But I, I love it to pieces. And, like, Half Lumps and Woozles, like, fucked me up as a kid. And I still do poo sticks. And Winnie the Pooh is just so fucking great. <sighs> 10 out of 10. I, I, I feel like that might be a little generous. But there's some, it's so wholesome. And it's so well put together. And it's just such a fucking great movie. Yeah, it's, it's like a collection of stories. 
But with Winnie the Pooh, it works. Number one, it's called The Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh. Not The Adventure of Winnie the Pooh. It tells you right there on the fucking title. There, you're going to be in for a lot of things. It's heartwarming. It's emotional. It's well done. It's iconic. It's Winnie the fucking Pooh. And while some of them, later on down the road, are incredibly weak. Looking at you, Searcher Christopher Robin. This one is the pinnacle. It's the ultimate. It's the best. If you're ever going to only see, like, one Winnie the Pooh movie, make it the many adventures of Winnie the Pooh. Because pretty much everything else after this that I've seen pales in comparison to the original film. It's all down to this. It, it like, oh my god. I just, I love it. I absolutely love it. And having read all of the Winnie the Pooh stories, yes, I have, um, this, it, like, it tells them so incredibly well. And the, the things in the book and the illustrations, it's all like, it's all true and it's all accurate and it's all right there. I fucking love this thing to pieces. I know what I said. Also, it just occurred to me, not it just occurred to me, but I remembered that I actually gave Hunchback and Notre Dame a uh, 10 out of 10. So Winnie the Pooh is the fifth perfect movie. Coco, Lion King, um, Hunchback. What the fuck else was there? Oh, Inside Out. And the many adventures of Winnie the Pooh. Those are my those are my five perfect movies so far. That'd be a, that'd be a hell of a fucking weekend. But I love Winnie the Pooh, and I I refuse to hear anything uh, against it. So there you go, ten out of ten. Winnie the Pooh, Winnie the Pooh. Mars and Beyond is a documentary from 1957 about the possibility of life on other planets and the history of space observation, uh, both told through like the evolution of life on the planet and the uh, progression of ideas uh, throughout a mostly Eurocentric view, um, to be perfectly honest. It is... Well, I mean, obviously, it's it's outdated. Um, there there are some things that are that are vaguely accurate, and others that are wildly not. Um, it's interesting uh, to see such things uh, from you know the the fifties, and it's uh, it's certainly a, a fun cultural experiment to witness uh, a documentary about such things told from from that perspective. And it just makes you wonder, like, where are we going to be in another 50 years with our understanding of um, the, the universe around us? Uh, it's kind of a, a, a thin-blooded cosmos, um, like the Carl Sagan uh, thing, and then even, like, the Neil deGrasse Tyson one from, uh, from recent years, which apparently still has multiple seasons, even though I've only ever seen the first one. Um, but yeah, it was, a, it was okay. Um, it's mostly animated. I mean, that's why it's on the list, is that most of it's told through, through animations. And I gotta say, some of those alien designs are fucking incredibly cool. This idea of, like, migrating plants um, was, was really neat. And just some of the, some of the monster designs that they, uh, they came up with were super creative. And I want to, I want to use them in, in D&D. I want to consume those, those, those designs because they're really neat. Um... So for for that, I thought I thought the, the the vision of what aliens could look like was incredibly creative. Um, but 
I mean, there's not a whole lot of, like, factual information to learn from this documentary, um, which shouldn't be a surprise to anybody because it's severely outdated. But it's it's interesting enough. Um, I don't think it's, like, funny or anything like that. And if I saw this in school, I'd probably have been bored out of my mind. That being said, it was a fairly dull um, documentary, even though it talks about some, some interesting ideas. Um, including like what the the electromagnetic nuclear powered spaceships would look like, um, and I'm sitting here being like, "Huh, would that work?" I don't know. I'm not a I'm not a rocket science, so you know NASA would probably know. I'd be willing to bet that the spaceships we're currently using are the ones we're currently using because those are the best ones. I have no idea. I'm not sure. Um, they could also be like the cheapest ones to put together. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just guessing, but yeah, Mars and Beyond, it was, um, I mean, it's not really a movie, it's a documentary, um, and a weird one at that, so, and it's, like, severely outdated, so, I mean, you're not gonna learn any, like, useful information from this, I don't think, um, at least not information, you couldn't learn more, better, more better, nice, couldn't learn, uh, better from other documentaries, uh, or even Cosmos, uh, which is also on Disney+, Plus. so, I just, I just watched that. Um, but it was interesting. If you want to see, like, a cultural touchstone of a thing, um, especially because it's one of the original, like, Walt Disney Disneyland shows, uh, which is always kind of fun and nostalgic to see. Uh, just being like, hey, look, it's actually Walt, but he's only there for, like, 30 seconds at the beginning and 20 seconds at the end to, to hype up next week's special. So, yeah, it's all right. I mean, it's a weird documentary about Mars. Now it's time for me to attempt to watch a movie that I hoped I would never, ever see. Couldn't do it. Almost knocked my, almost knocked my tea over in my incredible anger. Oh, God damn it. No. So. <sighs> Mars Needs Moms. It did not do well in the box office. Not that that particularly matters. I made it about, I don't know, 30 minutes, which I think is, I think I deserve a medal for that, just on, on, on paper. Um, the animation's weird. Like, it's, it's almost like early mocap. Um, well, I say early, I mean, it's 2011, so, you know, it's, it's nine years old. But it doesn't, like, Milo does not look like a human. Um, and Joan Cusack, her face is like... A couple of frames too slow so it's like I told you to read broccoli and you're just like why is, why no what is what is going on there that's that doesn't look right everything in this movie just looks slightly wrong and I don't understand it um, it's definitely got like it's it I, I feel like if it was a better movie it'd be mildly interesting it's it's not a bad concept on paper uh, especially the, the, the character Gribble, you know, the, uh, the, the, the child who tried to chase his mom to Mars and failed. So his mom died. Um, that's a, that's an interesting character, um, played by Dan Fogler from, uh, the, he was the, he was the, the, the muggle and fantastic beasts, which everybody widely agrees is like the best part of that movie. And to be fair, he does a, he does a pretty entertaining job here. Like. I, I didn't mind his performance at all. What really did it for me 
was the uh, was the introduction of the of like the Martian character doing um, like Earth based references. That's where I turned it off. Um, I was just like, no, like you had me for a little bit there, and then you lost me, and you lost me pretty hard. Um, plus, I could not get over the the way that Milo looks because it does not look like what a human is supposed to look like. Um, and I know it was mo-capped by Seth Green, but they fucked up Milo's face to such an under, like, it's, it, no, no, that's not, that's, this is not what people look like, and this is not how they move, and this is not what a person would do in this situation, so no, I just couldn't do it. Um, and I'm sure there's some kind of, like, heartfelt story about family in there or whatever, but I just, I just can't, can't, nope. Can't do it. I knew I was going to struggle with it. I'm amazed I watched it as long as I did, but I just cannot do that. So, nope, I'm out. Marsney's Moms gets a whopping 0 out of 10 for being unwatchable garbage. Marvel Rising Secret Warriors. What a fucking title. Uh, the, the first of... It's it, this is a movie. This one's the proper movie uh, that precedes a series of short films, um, of which there are six uh, in existence. I believe there are geez, there are five on Disney Plus. Apparently, I left something in one of my jeans pockets because it's just making a hell of a noise. Anyway, um, so this movie focuses on uh, Miss Marvel. Uh, who is uh, gaining a lot of traction in in the, like the world nowadays? Uh, because not only are they getting their own live action, I believe Disney Plus show, but they are also a pivotal character in the Square Enix Avengers game, and they're just becoming uh, very popular, which is phenomenal. Um, and this is probably my favorite representation of her. Uh, I. I know, like, in the, the Avengers game, she wasn't the strongest, uh, but I feel like they, they did her character pretty well. And I do appreciate this movie for bringing to light um, some characters that don't have a lot of... Like, they're very recent characters, so they don't have a lot of, um, like, representation in media. Uh, like, um, Gwen Stacy, Go uh, Ghost Spider is in this, uh, show for later on. Uh, Quake from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is here as, like, the, the leader. Uh, Miss America, America Chavez is here. Uh, you got Squirrel Girl, who's just fucking adorable. And, um, a, a few other characters, uh, who, like, you know, don't have a, don't have a lot of, uh, a screen presence in a lot of different areas. And it's nice to see them come together and in this uh, Secret Warriors team over the course of this adventure. Uh, the the plot of the movie's fine. It's it's that classic, like, you know, ragtag group of heroes come together to fight a problem that, like, the actual heroes, like, ignore, and then uh, they, they become a team thanks to Captain America and Captain Marvel. Um, and it's, it's done pretty well. It's done pretty well. It's not the best of this I've ever seen, but it's definitely not the worst I've ever seen of this. Um, and it's fun to see these characters kind of just do their superhero thing. And I appreciate that this movie has, like, some longevity to it because of these these follow-up shorts um, that kind of keep the story going uh, with the same and sometimes different characters just kind of mixed in there. 
So I'm excited to see uh, their adventures continue into uh, into different things and different um, adventures. So I'm excited about that. But yeah, it, it wasn't bad. Um, it's definitely better than the other animated Marvel movie I've seen as part of this, Iron Man and Hulk Heroes United. It was way better than that. Um, and as of like, you know, my, my marathoning today, it's the best movie I've seen. So, I mean, we're not giving like a, like a seven out of 10. It's pretty good. It's not bad. Um, Squirrel Girl gets, gets like a whole fucking point to herself. Um, just a fucking phenomenal character and anything that has Lockjaw instantly gets like a, gets like a bonus point for me because I love Lockjaw. Um, but fucking Squirrel Girl was funny. Apparently her catchphrase is eat nuts and kick butts, which is one of the funniest fucking things I've ever heard out of a fucking superhero. That's what I do. Eat nuts and kick butts. Good job. Good job, Squirrel Girl. Oh, man. And then at the end, when she's smelling Captain America, she goes, so that's what freedom smells like. I'm like, fuck yeah, Captain America. Anyway, yeah, it's pretty good. Um, very, it's actually remarkably similar in tone to the Kim Possible movie. You know, it's made for, like, teens. Um, it stars teens. It's all about teen problems. Balancing the superhero with the, the life of a teen and that sort of stuff. Um, although it, it really didn't touch a whole lot about, like, oh, I've got superpowers and tests. What? It doesn't really do a whole lot of that. Um, it, it touched on it a little bit, but not too much. And in case you're wondering, there's a, um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be watching the, the shorts in order of release, since that's usually chronological order in terms of content. Uh, so the proper order, if you do watch it on Disney+, Plus, uh, the six pieces of media, you start with Marvel Rising Secret Warriors, that's the intro movie, then you go to Chasing Ghosts, then you go to Ultimate Comics, which is not on Disney Plus. And then you got a Heart of Iron, which is on Disney Plus. So you got uh then you got Battle of the Bands, which I cannot wait to see. Operation Surety, and then Playing with Fire is the uh, is the final one. So the only ones that aren't on there are Initiation, which I believe is like a 5-minute quick uh like fucking short. It's a series of 6 4-minute shorts. There you go. That's what it is. Um and then you've got Ultimate Comics, which I'm not sure what that is. Um, it's a series of six animated videos released on YouTube. So I suppose you could watch those as well if you, if you really wanted to. But I'm only watching the shit that's on Disney+. Plus. So up first is Chasing Ghosts. Unlike, um, well, what the hell were they? The Lego specials, I will review these separately because um, they are not all the same length. It, it varies from 20 minutes to like 45 minutes uh, between between shorts. So, first short uh, we had was Chasing Ghosts, which was the introduction of Ghost Spider to this masquerade. Um, this, was, this is a shorter one, 20 minutes. And it basically is a, a Ghost Spider chasing down somebody named Sheath. Sheik? Sheik? I don't know. Uh, who killed or injured somebody named Kevin. Um, which is weird because that's not what happens in the comic books, but that's fine. Um, I actually like the comics better, but that's fine. Uh, the fucking Spider-Gwen and Ghost Spider are like one of the only comics I've ever read. And that's only because, um, I was a big fan of their appearance in, um, Into the Spider-Verse. And I thought they were really cool characters, so I wanted to read more about them. So I actually have a couple of Spider-Gwen's comics. Um, and they're really good. So... It was fun seeing them on the 
on the animated screen um, of the small scale, I guess, because they were into the Spider-Verse. And I know they're getting their own spin-off movie and are going to be in the sequel. So we're going to get a lot more of this character, and they're a really good character. Plus, they're a drummer, and that's just fucking radical. So, uh, yeah, this was fine. You know, it was 20 minutes. It's not a movie, but it was, it was entertaining. Probably as as entertaining um, as Secret Warriors, except it, I feel like Secret Warriors, having seen this, like, I don't know, Secret Warriors kind of drug on a little bit for me, so um, I, I, I think this also gets like a, like a seven, seven, six, six. So we'll give it a six. Call it a day there. Heart of Iron is a, is a, it's a sweet one. I liked it. Um, it tells the story of what the hell is her name riri who is a 15 year old super genius who builds her own iron man suit um and becomes the the character uh iron heart which is not one i'm familiar with let's see if yeah no i'm just yeah they're a character once again just a fairly recent one and i think that's the the glory of this show is that it kind of shines a light on those those characters who are um not as uh upfront in the in the marvel sphere but you know, this is what, in my head, um, they'd be building the backbone of like the next set of stuff on, you know. And I, maybe, maybe the Miss Marvel live action show was like the start of that. So who knows? I think Ironheart is a really interesting character, so I would love to see more of that. And I, I know we're gonna see more of Ghost Spider. Quake already got like a bunch of stuff with Agents of Shield, but I would love to see that character continue. There's a lot of really cool characters introduced, and in, to me at least, introduced to me in this in the series of shorts and uh, micro movies. Um, but Heart of Iron was 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 quite good. Um, probably the, the best one so far. And I love that the team grows uh, with each sequential thing. Like um, uh, Ghost Spider is again in, uh, in this one and in every other one after this. And, you know, Miss Marvel and Squirrel Girl are standards. And Iron Heart is um, in at least this next one. So... It's pretty cool. I don't know. It's fun. It's a, it's a fun ride. So I give Heart of Iron, um, yeah, I think a seven. Seven. It's pretty good. Um, I think pacing-wise, it is it is better than the movie because it's shorter. And it kind of covers, like, accepting your own failures and stuff like that and persevering against overwhelming odds um, and believing in others. So this whole thing is a, is a really nice, tight story. Like, the, the Marvel Rising series of, of media things is a, is a really good bundle of um, characters and adventures. And um, I, for one, would like to see them continue. Um, I'm, I'm not sure if they will, to be perfectly honest, but uh, I'm, I'm enjoying them right now. And who knows, maybe playing with fire is like a really nice wrap-up to the whole thing. We'll find out. But this would make a hell of a fucking TV show. I can tell you that for free. So... I'd watch the hell out of that. Marvel Rising Battle of the Bands. Uh, the classic tale of split duties between the band and being a superhero. I mean, who hasn't had that problem in the past? Am I right? Uh, fuck, if I had a nickel. Um, yeah, it's, you know, it's good. Um, anything that focuses on Ghost Spider is, uh, is an A-plus in my book. Um, she seems a little cavalier with her secret identity, though. Just saying for the record, I mean, I don't know, it just seems... I mean, I probably wouldn't have spelled that secret as quickly, but that might just be me. I have I have no idea, you know? Sometimes that's just the way things go. But it was pretty good! Um, you know, still... 
They're all in like that six to seven range. So none of them have blown my mind and none of them have sucked really. So once again, this falls right in that, right in that happy medium. Um, but the song was pretty good. And the music in, in this is, is pretty solid. Um, Ghost Spider is played by Dove Cameron, who I believe is either a musician of some persuasion or has sung in the past. Um, yeah, singer. Uh, do, 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 do. Yeah, she's, she's come out with, a some, some songs in the past. Wow, she's young. She's 24. Did not know that. Anyway, um, yeah, it was pretty good. It was pretty good. Only got a couple more of these to go. Marvel Rising Operation Shuri brings Shuri from Wakanda over to hang out with the with the Secret Warriors, and it's that classic like Shuri's amazing at everything, uh, and I feel like super shitty. But wait, I'm still cool, and Shuri's cool. We're all cool. Hooray! Woo! Five out of ten. It's the weakest one so far, and it's only because it's like it's been done to death a million and a half times, and I'm sick of seeing it. So. This, this one's as fine as any of the other ones, but it's just like, uh, I'm just a bitter old man. One more to go. And this one's another 45-minute micro-movie, so I don't know. Hopefully this, this wraps up the whole thing nicely. That's kind of what I'm banking on. The final Marvel Rising movie, Playing With Fire. This is the second 45-minute long one. Uh, mostly deals with a, a person who doesn't have powers, gets the ability to steal other people's powers, goes mad with power, and learns a valuable lesson about being proud of who you are um, while they go off to jail. And uh, also deals with uh, the heroes accepting like all of themselves and respecting the, the feelings of their teammates um, and so on and so forth. This one's, this one's not bad. It, it covers some, some fairly... Uh, decent subject matter that uh, is, you know, fairly universal. Uh, like, you don't have to have superpowers to not be happy with who you are or um, there are aspects of your personality that you're not a super big fan of. And it it does a pretty good job of uh, talking about those things on a fairly um, even keel. And uh, I liked it. Um, it might be... I'm a big fan of the first one, Secret Warriors. Um, that one's that one's pretty good. Uh, I felt um, Heart of Iron was was yeah. I think Playing with Fire is probably my favorite um, out of all of them. To be honest with you, everything else seemed pretty um, pretty kind of by the numbers and not super like I don't know. They were they were fun, but I I don't think I would rewatch any of those. But Playing with Fire I might because it it kind of talks about some some harder topics and there's a bit more emotion going on there um a lot of fear so i i appreciated it for that so after watching like the first movie playing with fire is probably probably my favorite it was a it was pretty good i'm gonna give it a solid seven though uh even even then they're all six and sevens they're they're fine um or i think operation sure might have been a five i can't remember that was yesterday uh yeah it was it was a it was a fun ride and um I, I feel like I got my my fill of these characters uh, for right now. Like, if they come out with, like, a new special, I'll probably watch it. But um, I'm, I'm glad that it's, uh, they're, they're here, and I, I very much enjoyed watching it because it was, uh, it's very different from what's coming down the pipeline. This mixture of, like, fucking Disney classics and an absolute, well, not a, not a, a fuck time, but 
I've got like four pretty Christmassy movies coming up, and it's October, so that's gonna be weird. Um, but yeah, seven out of ten for Marvel Rising playing with fire. <laughs> Alright, I'm not a heartless monster. That was pretty good. Ugh. Damn it. <laughs> I was so convinced that movie sucked. Oh, this is what I get for judging books by its cover. They did not advertise that movie right. They didn't. Oh, meet the Robinsons. I just thought it was about like this like wacky family of inventors. And it was just like that was it. That was the that was the bit. That was the gimmick. Nah, man. It's about the kid named Lewis who uh, was left at an orphanage as a as a as a baby, and grew up in the system. And uh, smart kid, bright kid, invents. Families don't get him. One day he goes to the science fair with this with this memory uh, device uh, to try to remember what his mom looked like because he reasons that you know that's his family, so he needs to find his family. And there's this. This kid from the future who shows up and he, he like tells Lewis that he's got to invent this thing. And then there's this guy with a bowler hat that's basically just Dick Dastardly. Um, and he doesn't ever get. Well, I mean, we we figure out what his real name is um, eventually. It's it's a it's a time travel movie. So Lewis goes to the future uh, and meets this this crazy family called the Robinsons. And it turns out that the kid that came from the future to the past is Lewis's son. And the guy with the bowler hat is Lewis's roommate, who's pissed at Lewis uh, for keeping him up all the time with his with his crazy inventions. So it's and and it just kind of it kind of goes from there. Don't get me wrong, there's a fuck ton of whimsy and uh, wacky shit just for the sake of wacky shit in this movie, like a lot, like almost an unreasonable amount. Um, but it's it's a, it's a fairly decent time travel story. Um, with a really good core message of finding family and, and like always believing in yourself. And there's a lot of like weird interactions where it's like, oh, Lewis calls his future wife, mom. That's strange. His best friend is his son. Okay. Right. And this hat is evil for some reason. As the hat's name is Doris. Uh, Doris takes over the world. Lewis invents a time machine. Lewis's adult voice is Tom Selleck. And, and there's a lot of weirdness in this movie. But at the end of the day, that ending got me. Like, that's that's what did it. Um, there's a lot of lot of songs in this movie. Like, just kind of like it's kind of like Chicken Little almost, where there's just a lot of like songs with mu like music videos just kind of like in the movie. Um, this is infinitely better than Chicken Little. Uh, and it's pretty dang creative. Um, I, I liked it. I did. Um, I didn't think I was going to. I would have put, I would have lost all my money on this if I had bet. Meet the Robinsons. Kind of a surprise. It's a, it's a pretty decent time travel movie. It's a pretty good family movie. It almost got me weepy there at the end. It's just, it's got a lot of, it's, it's pretty heartfelt. Um, and it's even more heartfelt when you realize that the, the director, uh, who also provided the voice for, like, the villain, was, um, uh, uh, also was, was brought up in the system and was adopted as a child. So, it's, it's one of the, it's one of those stories. Um, and you know what? Eight out of ten. 
it's it definitely has some some things that I'm not a super big fan of, um, that kind of bog it down, uh, especially in that uh that kind of like middle bit and um, like stories like this I think are compelling enough with just the the conflict of the interpersonal relationships and the struggle of identity that they don't need villains. You know what I mean? Um, I know it might be like a Disney trope to have villains. Um, and this villain is, is fairly minor, but there is a, a fairly significant sequence where the hat like takes over the world and changes the past. And I just didn't feel like that was really necessary. Quite frankly. Um, kind of like with a uh, little mermaid three, like that villain does absolutely nothing to move the plot forward. And this villain does a little bit to move the plot forward. I'm just saying that that isn't what the plot needed to be. The fact that that is what the plot is, is fine. Uh, you know, it's, it's still a good movie. Um, but you know, just some minor alterations. Uh, I would love for one of these fucking movies to really just focus on like that interpersonal struggle and, and stuff like that. And a couple of them have gotten really fucking close, uh, where there isn't a strict villain, like the good dinosaur, the, the air quotes villain is, um, is like nature itself and inside out. Like the villain is just like, I mean, inside out, there is, there's no real villain. It's just the complexity of being a human is the uh, is the focal point of that movie. Um, but I'm a big fan of, of movies where there are, there's not like a, a, a fucking embodied enemy, but it's this this intangible force of of the universe that we can all um, sympathize with and, and deal with on um on any on any sort of basis. So yeah, Meet the Robinsons uh, was was pretty good. It was pretty good. I'd recommend it. It's um. It's, it's from this time period of, of Disney movies that I didn't see a lot of. From, from like, the year 2000 to the year 2008, roughly. Uh, basically, right up until Princess and the Frog comes out, there was, there was a, a series of movies that, that more or less did fairly poorly. It's got, like, Chicken Little in there. It's got Bolt in there. It's got Meet the Robinsons in there. There's just there's a couple of Disney movies right there in that, in that period of time that I just did not see in in theaters or at all really um and I'm, I'm slowly coming around to realizing that that those movies are by and large pretty okay except for chicken little that movie can suck my dick um but me at the robinsons um i think i like it more than bolt like if i was gonna recommend one from that time period me at the robinsons for sure because i feel like that's a that's a more relatable story and the characters are just are just better um, in my opinion. Don't get me wrong, I like John Travolta as a dog, but I also enjoy happy family stories, and this is a happy family story. And I think that will do it for this week's episode. Uh, we, we made some progress. It doesn't really seem like it. Uh, just like kind of glancing at this, um, in the, in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't seem like we made a lot of progress, but we did, you know, it, it takes a lot. To, to dredge through this shit. Um, oh, may, who knows? Maybe next time I'll finish the letter M, and uh, and we'll just we'll just keep on going. But we're we're getting pretty close to the end of this. Um, I think I'm approaching a hundred pieces of media seen. I think I'm on like 95, 94, something like that. Uh, so we're getting there. But yeah, there's uh, another batch done, and I'll see y'all next week for the uh, for the next installment of me watching all the Disney animated movies. <laughs>